Now, we're actually to the point of the sermon, but Bill Weber came up and said, I think I have something I'm supposed to say. And, and I, it sounds to me like maybe it is very much involved with what the sermon is. So, Bill, come on up. Would you grab a microphone? Would you give him one, DJ? Okay. I first would like you to write down two scriptures. That's Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, and uh, Luke 4, 18. I'm going to read uh, the first three. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Those are words that were prophesied in Isaiah about Jesus. In Luke, that was Isaiah 61. In Luke 4, Jesus stands up and he takes the book and he reads from the book, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sat down. What I've been meditating on this week and what I really believe is a word for Lake Sam, it's for all the church of God really, but this is specifically some things that are going on here in the resurrection life that I think is, is happening here, is that God is calling you. Remember, it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And it is that same Christ that is the same yesterday, today, and forever that he is calling upon you to walk out. It is, that's your, that is our job assignment. That is all of our job assignment, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Man, you cannot believe with the world and so much bad news and turmoil that the word is, is that we are to bring life. Amen. We are to bring truth. We are to bring, we are to set the oppressed free. Everybody has areas where they have garbage and baggage and lies that the enemy has put in them and they're carrying around. You're to give them a new piece of luggage. Amen. You're to give them something that is filled with a destiny that what is Christ has shown them, that Christ is speaking to them, who they are in Christ what you see in them. You are to look at them and to declare Amen. all that Christ has called them to be. Amen. That's, that's just the word. That's what God wants us to do. Amen. The one thing I admire, and I will share this, that you have always, always presented this church and you have modeled the family and the love of the family. And it is such a beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord. That family takes care of one another and then Amen. reach out and include and start to see people through the eyes Amen. of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. You're going to see, you're going to see in one second that that's the sermon. Okay? Yeah, I can go home. Yeah. So, uh, so I do want to say, I do want to hit where I'm going, and you're going to see that this is very much, particularly as we get into the sermon, you're just going to see that's a word from the Lord. So, with that in mind, here's what I want to do. We're in our journey with Luke. For those of you who don't know, we've been walking through Luke watching how Jesus discipled the disciples, thinking that we're disciples, and that Jesus will disciple us the same way he discipled them. 
In fact, let me show you something that I didn't know until this morning when I just kept getting prompted by the Lord to look it up, by the Lord to look it up. I've been saying that we've been in Luke for about five years, and to me it seems like it. Probably to you it seems like ten. But it turns out that we actually started it in October of 2013, which if you'll do your math means we're just right at a little bit over three and a half years, which turns out to be exactly as long as Jesus spent with his disciples. So it's also in the timing of it. And here we are coming into the very last things that Jesus is doing. And as we've been saying now for weeks, as we've been following this final journey of Jesus down into Jerusalem, and we've been saying this, everything that happens on this final journey is to be looked at with even more careful eyes because these are things that Jesus is calling to mind because he's equipping the disciples for something that they do not know is coming. And he wants them to be fully equipped so that when he is taken up, they will not only survive, but thrive. So he is leaving things. He's depositing things into them at this very end that he means to give them life, that he means to give them something that is more. So in that regard, I want to show you where we are in Luke. Jericho is, when he hits Jericho, it's one week. And he's just outside of Jericho now, as this says. Now, um, just a sec. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by, so he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me just note something. This guy knows who Jesus is. This guy knows that Jesus has an answer for him. He starts shouting. Now look what the people do. The people in the front yell at him to be quiet. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, but he only shouted louder, praise God. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. I'm getting a little echo, Tim. Thanks. Uh, be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, okay. <laughs> All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Now, there are many things that we could look at. We might even do so next week. I don't know. What I do know is this week, God is pressing into me to bring up that this is not by accident that this happens at the very end. And do remember where it begins. What's the first thing that happens that draws people to Jesus? He heals Peter's mother at the very beginning. So here we have a bookend. We, he's got a healing in the beginning and a healing in the end. And what he's doing is, is everything, this is supposed to be bookending something that is significant, right? So what we've got is, as we get this healing, it makes me say something. Why did Jesus do this with the disciples right then? I mean, he's healed lots of people. Why would he do this again at the end? Why would he do that? Think about it for a second. You're going to have to put on your thinking caps here today a little bit. Why would he do that? And here's what I want to say in terms of the larger message. He's trying to tell them, go and do likewise. He's trying to say, you're supposed to do what I'm doing. In fact, if you don't believe me, at the Last Supper, here's what he says. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, indeed, the disciples do exactly that. They do even greater works right? So the disciples got it. Whatever he did with them, the disciples got it, and they did it. So now the question becomes is, 
Are we the second generation of disciples doing so also? And I, got, I have two answers for you. The first one is, is, praise God, there's a lot of miracles that go on in Lake Sam. Has been since day one, still is to today. And, and it's not just miracles, by the way. Healing is the thing that is so sort of demonstrable, right? It's that thing that's just kind of shocking and it really gets people's attention and all that. But what really, God is doing all kinds of things to heal people. Word of wisdoms, word of knowledge, miracles, faith, all kinds of things. See that? So miracle stands, or healing stands out, but it stands in for all the things that God wants to do, right? So the point is, is what we've got here is, is we've got a church like Sam that really is moving in this. But if we stopped grading on the curve, would we be able to say that we're doing what Jesus said and what the disciples did? Are we doing what Jesus did and what the disciples did? Are we? And the answer is, yeah, but to what, 15%? So the answer almost becomes, not almost becomes, but becomes kind of no, right? We're not really doing that. And so then we have to ask the question, why not? <laughs> What's going on? At the end of this journey with Jesus to disciple us, we have to ask, what's not happening that we're not doing? And I want to say, right in this passage is, I think, part of the key. Because what he says to this guy is, your faith has healed you. Now let's just take that in the, in the, in the most immediate sense of it. Is there anybody in here who needs to be healed? There, there's a lot, right? And are you? Have you been? Several people could raise their hands, yes, I've been. But if you haven't been, there is something about, look, I'm not saying for even a second, you don't have enough faith to be healed and it's on you. But what I am saying is, do you have enough faith? See? There's something about the Lord's asking us, do we have enough faith? Now, that's the person that's receiving the healing, but there's a person that's speaking it. And whereas with Jesus, we know that his faith was perfect, we can ask, is there a role of faith in the person who is praying it, speaking it, being the ambassador of Jesus to bring it? Do we have enough faith? such as to pray over someone that needs healing, do we? In fact, let me change that just a little bit and say, how can I have enough faith, <laughs> right? Because we've already answered that we don't. So now the question becomes, how do we? And that's what we're going to look at today in a way that I think you're going to love and in a way that it really has a very big, big, big picture to it that's very applicable to right now. Having said that, let me just bring it home all the way, though. In a certain sense, when I start talking about healing, it would be easy for people to think of it in abstract terms. Sure, of course, I'd love to pray for somebody and see them get healed, but what's that really got to do with me right now? And the answer, as I said just a second ago, was, is A, are you sick? Because you don't ask that question if you are. But B, I would also say, do you know somebody who is? And let me, without putting any condemnation on anybody, because there is no condemnation in Christ, but let me just cast a vision for you about why this sermon and this entire journey for three and a half years has been so important. You do realize that the point is, is that Jesus, who has been healing people, is not going to be there anymore. And he's going to start healing people through the disciples. He's going to use them to do what he wants to do. And that means that he's going to use you to do what he wants to do. And being very careful to not bring any condemnation, there is a question that we ought to ask. What happens if we don't step up? 
What happens if we don't become his instruments genuinely for the healing and the touch that he wants to bring? How many people are there in the world that God desired to touch and to heal and that didn't get so because we didn't step up? Because we weren't there. All of a sudden, it starts to mean something, doesn't it? Right? So no condemnation. God is lovingly bringing us along. So let's be brought along. Right? So with that in mind, oh, this is wonderful. Shadrach, would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church? I just love this man. He does a work in India that is incredible, and he is just such a faithful man of God. Shadrach, I don't know that you're that much older than me, actually. I'm getting older by the day. But bottom line, I want to be like you. So would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church? Thank you. Thank you, brother. How oh, gracious, Heavenly Father. Father, grace, mercy, and peace. Praise and thank you, our God, for the opportunity to gather in your name so that we could worship you, praise you, adore you, Lord God. Now it is our turn, Lord God, to listen to your word. I pray, Lord God, for my dear brother, Pastor Kurt. Lord, anoint him, Lord, with the Holy Spirit, with double portion of the Holy Spirit, so that he let him speak, Lord, with wisdom above, from wisdom given to him from above. Thank you. Let every word that comes up here, his mouth, Lord God, let it come out from the throne of your grace, Amen. so that we could use it, Lord, for Amen edification and growth. Anoint him, Lord, with the double spirit so that he could dispense the word for our use and growth. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Shadrach. I'm going to say something to this body. This is totally off point. It's not about the sermon at all. It's just something that's been on my heart. Would you pray in an Indian pastor to this church? I really, I really am feeling a tremendous thing in the Lord that we're supposed to be hiring and having a staff person that's Indian to help us understand and, and to minister and to do well uh, in that community. So, all right, would you please do that? Help me with that, all right? We, I, praying in people is, that's one of the things God just does for me all the time. But I'm asking you to help so that when God brings it, we can see it and embrace it, okay? All right. Now, I'm going to do something. I told you that this was us that he's trying to disciple. So that means it's not just my problem. <laughs> that means it's your problem too. <laughs> so I want you to do something. We're going to look at this passage here. And I'm going to ask you to do something right now. A little weird, but trust me, it'll only last a few minutes. We're not going too long on this. I, I really am going to do it fairly quick. But the bottom line is I want you to turn to four minimum, five, six people, seven people. I want you to turn to a group of people and I want you to look at this passage and I want you to just think about it for a second and talk about it for, we're only gonna do about five minutes of discussion, okay? Maybe six. But the bottom line is, I want you to think about what's in this that would help us understand how to have more faith. I'm gonna be talking about it in just a second, but you catch the drift, okay? Those of you who have been around here for a while know what I'm doing, so would you do me a favor? Turn to people, okay? If you're a little uncomfortable with this, I love you. It'll be over quickly, okay? All right, I promise. I'll keep it mercifully short. But turn to each other, and I want you to talk about what's in here, okay? 
Shoot. Oops. Tammy.
Thomas, I know that I know that that's a little short. I know you could have gone longer, but but for you, I promised to keep it short, and I did. Right? <laughs> all right, all right. So here we go. Uh, I want about five people total, and please, I love you, but please keep it short. Okay? If you take 15 minutes, it's going to cause us a problem. Okay? And I hate to interrupt people. I don't like it. So I'm just asking for some thoughts that you might have got that if I, if, I, if I can put it this way, that seem like maybe God quickened this to you. There was a bit of a revelation to you about how to grow in faith. So I want just five hands, and we've got two guys with mics, and I'm going to call you out when I see the, see the hands as I see them and so on. So who, who wants to step up? Go ahead, Philip. And you got to stand up. Give your name. Yeah. Wave my arms. Okay. Hi, I'm Philip. Um, I, one of the things that came up in our group was, you know, it doesn't really specifically say, but, you know, here's this beggar at the, at the gate, and it takes, it takes a level of courage to stand up and make a nuisance and, and wave your hands and say, hey, look at me, look at me. Jesus, hey, I'm over here. Please, that's me. And, you know, there, there's this Amen. crowd of people, and Amen. without faith. You don't do that. Where, where does that courage come from but to have faith? Yeah. So it's really good. I like that. The courage. Okay. Let's go right here. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Okay. Hi, I'm Patricia. Um, the way we took it, or I took it, was that um, we heard listening to your inner voice um, to Love that. ask for it. Yeah. And then receive it. Re Amen. Be reminded to receive Amen. it. Amen. Amen. Okay. Ask for it, receive it, move in it. Who else? Okay, right here. Oh, welcome back from Alaska. And, and I know you're off to biker places unknown here for the next several months, but it's lovely to have you here right now. Thank you. This is perfect, both with Bill's and this. Um, we talked about a lot of stuff, but bottom line is, for me, it was, what do you want me to do for you? We're going to three secular Triker rallies. We're only back one week. Hello, goodbye. Um, um, this summer, and one is Sturgis. And if you know anything about Sturgis at all, 700,000 bikes in one week. And we're working for CMA there for a week. And Christian I, Motorcycle Association. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go um, ahead. But what do you want me to do for you? Amen. What better way to send us Amen. out than to say, go into the Amen. who knows what. We never know what we're going into. Amen. Let's do one more before we go, okay? Let's go all the way over, okay? Just one more. And I know we got a couple more hands, but let me just do the one more, uh, and then I won't keep us here too long. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Marcus. Um, what I was getting a lot of it is faith is doing. I think sometimes we think, yeah. you know, I have faith, so it's on God, in God's hands. He knows everything, so if it's his will, then it's, then it's up to him, which is true, but I think faith is still, you know, it always says, be persistent in prayer. And I think Amen. sometimes we think of faith as what I want is going to happen. But I think a lot of times it's even if what I think is right doesn't happen, that I know that God still loves me. And I'm going to ask for what I want regardless. And I know that regardless of what Amen. happens, he has me. And I think that's faith is to going out into action regardless of what you think might or might not happen. And I love that you're the one that said that because I know you to be that person. What happens 
is not unimportant to you, but it's not the point for you. You standing strong, going in faith, moving out, being his instrument, that's you. And I love that. So we're going to go ahead and, and dig into what I got out of this. But I love, and I thought that this would happen because I know you. You guys brought what, at least, let me put it this way. There's three things that we're going to look at right here. The first one, we know, we've talked about many times, even before we got into Luke. We've known this pattern, we're gonna, but we're going to go over it briefly because it's important to note about the question that we're asking is, how do I end up with more faith? How do I grow in my faith? And we're talking about not faith as in believing Jesus, although it is believing Jesus. We're talking about the kind of faith that moves mountains. That's what we're talking about, okay? So that's number one. Number two, we're going to be talking about this, this, another thing that we all knew and that was just talked about in these prayers in these answers. Number three is one that again, I knew before we ever started this, but this is, this is where the richness is. This is where the real honey is for today. Because the third one is the one that God took my understanding of it and has transformed me in the last three years as much if not more than when he brought me into salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So having said that, let's go through the first one. Okay, I want you to see we've been doing this thing for three and a half years, and we've called it Empowered. Okay? Now what we do when we do this is we have the Holy Spirit coming down upon. And so what we're trying to say there is, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this. That's what I say. We knew this first one before. That's why we made the graphic like this. It's the Holy Spirit coming down that does what he wants to do through. Okay? So, just to hit that for a second, we can ask the question, how did Jesus do the miracles that he did? And the easy answer, which happens to be wrong, is because he's God. Now, clearly, as God, he could have done that. But instead, what happened was, the word makes it clear that he emptied himself as his divine attributes that he might walk exactly like you and I do. He's a model for how to walk. He's not just our Savior on the cross. He's a model for what a walk in God looks like. In fact, this is how Philippians says it. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Now notice that phrasing. We're to think of ourselves the same way Jesus thought of himself, which is to say he had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges, let me say the power of being God, deity, and took on the status of a slave, which is to say became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. God, creator of all the universe, not operating in that. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. I'm going to just put a put a pin in this right now. I'm going to say something. If there's anything that the Lord is teaching me right now, I don't know what it is that's more than obedience. Simple obedience. Period. Doesn't matter if I get it. Doesn't matter if I understand it or anything else. That's not the first time he's had to teach me that, so apparently I will leave that to you. Okay? A selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, 
God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever. And the way Jesus talks about this is this. He says, look, I can do nothing on my own. Wait a minute, you're God. You can do everything on your own. But he's saying, no, you don't understand how I'm acting, living, being. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment, and by the way, it doesn't say um, I can do nothing. It says I can do nothing by myself. It doesn't say I choose not to do nothing by myself. Notice that. When he emptied himself and humbled himself, it was real. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Now, he says it this way in another place. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So the first part of this is he has emptied himself and he's simply being obedient. So now the question becomes, and in my discussion, this is a little bit of what came up. It's, how do you know that it's Jesus leading you? Well, let's go to that, because here's what we've got. We've got the, we, Jesus, Mary asked the angel, how can it be, how can I get pregnant if I haven't ever known a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. Now, that's to say that he was born with the Holy Spirit in him isn't it? And we see that even when he's 12 years old. He gets things that people who are not gods don't get, right? But it's because he's got the Holy Spirit in him. Now, having said that, he doesn't nonetheless go out to minister in power until what? The baptism. One day when the crowds are being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. Okay? And, and John the Baptist said, I knew which one it was because the Spirit would descend and stay. Okay? Now, that's what happened to Jesus. He has the Holy Spirit inside, and then he's empowered, like our diagram. That Sunday evening, disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. This is right after he's died. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The same God that breathed into the clay and made Adam, made a living being out of Adam, the same God that breathed into Mary and made the first of the newborn, which is Jesus. He brought them, he brought the Holy Spirit in them and made them new there in the upper room. But then he told them, don't go out and minister until what? Same thing happened to him at, at baptism. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The, the actual word there is glossolalia, and that's tongues. As the Holy Spirit gave them, in other words, it wasn't necessarily the language of the people that they were speaking to. It was more, he, they were speaking in tongues, and people were hearing them in their own languages. Okay, to be careful about that. But the point is, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. As the Holy Spirit gave them ability, that's what they moved in. Well, that's what Jesus moved in. And that's what we're to move in. So, our diagram is... Our, our, the beginning of the whole thing was the Holy Spirit wants to come down upon you who have been made new, and he wants to move through you to do his will. So you need to be obedient. You need to be a vessel. You need to be a clear conduit of what he's doing. I, every time before I pray, 
What I always pray is I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I need your holy coal. We need your holy coal to come and to burn out of me what would impede your word from coming forth. And I always add, and we need to burn out of us what was in our ears and our hearts and heads that would keep it from being planted deeply so that it springs up a hundredfold. Okay? So this is the one that we knew. If you've been here for a while, if you haven't, you just got it. Okay? You, the way that we do what we do is through the Holy Spirit, and that right there ought to build your faith because it means it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent on your strength. Got it? So it's not you. You're praying for somebody to get healed. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit through you that's going to do the healing <coughs> if a healing is going to happen, right? Or when a healing happens. It's not you, so don't take any pride in it. Don't get all beefed up. Don't get whatever. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. So that's number one. It's the Holy Spirit, not you. But just because it's the Holy Spirit, not you, doesn't mean that you don't have a role. you got to be a good conduit. And that right there is where faith comes in. You have to be someone who believes that God will actually do this. If you don't believe that God will do this, I'll tell you the first thing that will happen. You won't go pray for the person that you work with. Because <laughs> you're scared and you're going to look like a fool and they're not a Christian and you're just going to be an idiot and you're afraid and all the things that we are. And you're not going to do it. You're going to figure out some way to not do it. And even if you do do it, what you will be is a conduit that's so sort of focused on yourself because you're so nervous about what's happening here that the chances of the Holy Spirit actually getting you to focus on whatever he wants to do so that you can be obedient goes way down. John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that he can increase. Jesus humbles himself that the Lord might fill. If we're going to be obedient, we have to be obedient and that means we have to be emptied so that we're not being obedient to ourselves. <laughs> we have to be obedient to him who's filling us, right? So we have to do something in order to become a better conduit. Now, taking those passages, I only do what I see the Father doing and see what, say what I hear him saying. Look at this. I, what did Jesus do? See, what he did was if the Father led him to do something, he did it. Every time. Is there anybody in here that can tell you that when the Father led you to do something, to reach out to somebody to help them, whether it be healing, a word, miracle, whatever, is there anybody in here that can tell me that every single time the Lord led you to do something, you did it? Did you? Anybody? Let's, let's go to 80%. Oh, let's not go with that. That's stupid. Let's go to 20%. <laughs> anybody at 20? Yeah, I like that. I'm, I might be getting into the 20% range. But here's the problem with that. Here's the issue. This is an extended metaphor for you about what it is to exercise a muscle that God wants you to get stronger in. I'm going to use the analogy, the extended metaphor of baseball. This is a t-ball game. Now, the big guy in the red there, he's God. The little guy is us at the very beginning, okay? And look what God's doing. He's setting us up. He's getting us set up. He's getting the bat put right. He puts the ball right up there, tees it up and everything else. And what do we do? We hit and the ball actually goes backwards. <laughs> so that's how, so God comes again and he sets us up and he gets us right. Look at that. See, he gets our stance a little bit better and everything else. Puts us the right distance, tells us what to do. We swing. God oh, miss. Okay, but then look. Oh, look. We got a hit. Now we don't even know what to do. And he goes, run. <laughs> so we run, right? And then we get on base. Oh my God, God is real. Now right there, you've learned something. You learned that God was real. 
I told you at salvation, God completely changed my life because I found out he was there. But at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I found out that he wants to move through me. And both of those things were life-changing for me because I came to understand a God who was there and who wanted to move through me. So I'm learning about God, right? Now, after a while, you get better at this stuff, right? You're still pretty young in it, but you know, you get to where somebody can actually throw the ball at you and you might actually like hit it. I mean, that's awesome, right? That's a lot harder than just teed up for you. And you get on base. That's awesome. I like this too. I can't remember in the video or not. I just noticed it this morning. I think he falls down right there. <laughs> and I think that that's a nice metaphor for us, right? You know what I mean? We get, a, we get a hit, we get on base, and then we still fall. Okay. All right. So that's nice. But, but look, if you're ever going to get good at this thing, what do you have to do? Practice. You have to practice, practice, practice. You have to get in that batting cage, and you have to start, you know, you have to get it there, and you're getting a little older, your hand-eye coordination, but you've got to start working this puppy out. You've got to start understanding what this thing is. You've got to stand there hour after hour, day after day, month after month. You've got to do this year after year until you get to where, good eye, by the way, on that one, not swinging for it. But you see, you've got to practice. Now, using the metaphor for us growing in the Lord and in faith, what are we saying? You have to actually, like, be in a community, the batting cage. You have to be in a family where they're talking about this stuff, where they care about this stuff, where this stuff is important, where people are trying things and you're learning from what they do and you're trying things and you're learning from what you do. You have to get into those situations where you're doing these things. But then I want to understand something else. Remember this. In our discipleship process, remember the first half of Luke, 1 through 8, is about watching God do things. But then about a year and a half ago, God put us in the master's program where he was starting to say, do things. Let me just show you a couple of things that, that God showed us to do, told us to do. One of them was stop and pray with the leather band around your wrist. Now, I'm not wearing mine right now, and I, I don't know if I like that. I'll probably go back to it. It's starting to itch me a little bit. So I just took it off. But I have to say, see, what God was trying to do is he's trying to get in the game. Do something here. Orient yourself to trying to grow in this. Remind yourself all the time. Don't just talk about this when you're here on Sunday morning. Make this part of your life. Everything that you do, remind yourself continually to do this. Here's another one that we did. This is just this year, you guys, that God has asked to do something. Does anybody remember 21 days of prayer? What was that about? What do you most need rescued from? Ask God to rescue from him so that you would learn about him. Now, I still have not been rescued from the thing that I have been praying for. I have not quit praying for it. It's still on my thing, comes up right at 9 a.m. And I stop whatever I'm doing and I pray for it right then. And I cry out to God. And I can tell you already I'm learning things about God. Lots of things. In ways that I, you know, I'm not going to say that it never matters if he ever delivers me from what I most need to be delivered. What I am going to say is, this is growing me. As I do this, as I pursue him, as I'm processing this, and not in the way of making excuses for why he doesn't move, but rather, I'm just crying out to him and I feel his presence and I feel his answer. I just haven't received it yet. So I continue to do that. See what I'm saying? 
So these are two things, but he's been doing these kinds of things for a year. We've given you all kinds of things that you could enter into. Now, now again, no condemnation and certainly no show of hands, but let me just ask you, have you been doing these things? Have you? Because if you have, you're growing. And if you haven't, you're not. And if you're doing it half-hearted, then you're growing half-hearted. I mean, this is true, right? This is natural. This is real. This is what happens in baseball because there comes a point in time at which you get to where, you know, you actually are starting to get to where you can do this thing, right? And this is a high school game. And look at that. They're all hitting. This is right where you want to hit, right, baseball players? You're trying to get on first base, hit it to left field, okay? So here they are. Look at that nice little tag on that guy, right? But what, what still has to happen, just because now you can get on base... And you've got some hand-eye coordination going, what do you still have to do? You just have to keep practicing. Look at this guy. He's, he's, Bill, he's a little too wide on his stance, right? That's not a power stance, right? But it looks good. And look at the good contact he makes with the ball. This kid's really getting it. He, he could still use some mechanics here, but he's really getting it. And you keep doing this, and you keep doing this. And one day you find yourself in a pro combine, and they're working you out for the bigs. Now look at that, that first ball, a little off, right? But now watch this, he's dialing in, boom. Now watch this, he scared that guy, he didn't have control, now watch this one, boom. He knows right where to put that ball. It's like he, he pinned that ball in that back corner. That's what he knew to do, because he's getting there. He's getting stronger, he's getting better. We, in our workplaces, with our family, with our friends, with those who do not know the Lord, we need to be working at it and 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 working at it. There's, a, there's an old saying, it goes like this. Amateurs practice until they can get it right. Pros practice until they can't get it wrong. See it? You need to start working it and working it and working it because one day, look, it's coming whether you're prepared or not. If you're still playing t-ball and God puts you in the big game, what happens? Right? Duck and cover. Okay? But if you've been practicing, if you've been doing what he's leading you to do, if you're doing it out of obedience, not knowing what's coming next, but knowing that he's coming and that he's got things for you to do that are going to make a difference in the world, then you also get to the place to where when it comes down to the show, you're there. That ball is launched way back into right field. That cleared the bleachers in right field. That baby may be in the Ohio River. Swing it away at 3-0. A deep drive. Way up on the hill to the left of the rock pile. That's far up. It's a little less than that. hear that? That's one of the longest balls ever been hit in this ballpark. And it was. It's, it's the third longest hit in, 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 in MLB history. Okay? So you get it? You want to get to that place. Now here's the point. You got to understand something. See, when you get into the bigs, when you get to the place to where God wants to take you, now here's what a lot of people are saying right now. I don't want to be in the bigs. That's the whole point. <laughs> right? I don't want people throwing 100 mile an hour pitches at my head. I'm not into this. I don't want this. 
Here's what the problem is. There's somebody out there that needs what you've got. He, before the foundation of the world, had a work for you to walk in. There was somebody that he had for you to touch, for you to make a difference in their life. And trust me, you're going to want to be ready when that time comes. But let me make it clear. Now watch this. See? If you haven't practiced a lot, then you get in the batter's box, and you start to step up, okay? This is the fastest pitch that's ever been recorded in pro baseball. This pitch right here. Now watch this. Watch where it goes. <laughs> well, it's actually 106. You watch when they actually clock it for the official. This is a repeat of that play. Of that. See, now he's going, whoa, 106 miles an hour pitch. You know how long? That is just, that will kill you. That hits him in the head. That kills, that hits him in the wrist. It breaks his hand. This is no joke. There are all kinds of things that, that are coming at you. There is all kinds of stuff coming at you. Here's what's cool. Did you, uh, you already saw it, but did you see he comes back to the plate? What kind of a moron does that? 106 miles an hour. I give. I'm out. Time. I'm out. Right? A guy who's been there before. That guy walks back up there, and he gets back up, and he's set, and he's in there. And he, did you see him? He's right in there again. He's putting out of his mind the 106 that almost hit him and killed him because he's been there before. And that was just a little bit more, but he's been there before. 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 God takes us from T-ball to the bigs if we will let him. And you get to where you can start doing the panache. This is a bat flip. Look at, the, look at the coolness with these. See these guys? It's like when you get in the end zone, pretend like you've been there before. Look, these guys are like, I know what that is. I've seen that before. You see that? Now look. Now look. Now look. You can be happy. <laughs> I love this one. Now look at this. He's like, yes! <laughs> right? And then you get to celebrate. You get to celebrate because you were in. You got in the box. They're throwing, you know how far a curveball, this is an average curveball. I don't know what the max is, but an average curveball breaks about a foot and a half. You got a bat that's about that thick. That bat is supposed to hit a ball that is moving a foot or more. It doesn't matter what curves get thrown at you. When you've been there, you've been there. You've seen this before. You know what's happening. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. What Bill is talking about in that word, what was said, when you get to where you practice, when you get to where you're good at this stuff, you get good at this stuff. But the bottom line is, miracles are as natural to God as breathing is to us. And they're supposed to be as natural to us as breathing if we just get in the game. If we would just practice, if we would just put it up to, out there, if we would just get in the game, right? So number one, the Holy Spirit's the one that does it. Number two, you have to get to be a better and better conduit so you get in the box and you're ready for whatever he wants to do. It's no glory to you, but you still have to get where you're comfortable standing there, comfortable praying so that you can look at the ball and not be freaking out about dying. 
Not be freaking out about being embarrassed. Not be freaking out about what will happen if this doesn't happen. Not be freaking out about all the other things that can go through your mind that take your focus off of what it takes in order to hit that ball. When you've been there long enough and you've done enough of it, you start caring about that God's will gets done and that's the only thing that matters to you too. Just like with God. See it? Okay, so that's number two. Holy Spirit does it. We're there. Number three, this is the one that I said. I knew this beforehand, but I have to tell you what God has done with it is extraordinary. It starts here. Do you see down at the bottom of our thing here? It says, mashup of Luke and 1 Corinthians. I don't know if we're going to Corinthians after this or not. I don't know if God will lead us. But the bottom line is, is 1 Corinthians. I want you to think about what that means. Because God, when we first started doing this, when we first started doing this, I thought this was about God was going to teach us how to move in power. That's what I thought. Now, I have to tell you, given that Jesus does a lot of that as examples, and now he's bringing it back at the back end, bookending it, he's bookending it for us too, and so it is about how to move in power. But I learned something here, and I, and I knew it, but I learned it. In Corinthians, what you actually have is a group of people that are doing, moving in power, all of it. Paul says right here, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. See what he's saying? You learned about God because you've been stepping into these gifts. You've been moving in these gifts and you've learned all kinds of things about God, right? But, so that you're not lacking in any gift. You're moving in all the gifts, he says. That's, a, that's verse 4. And then there's a whole bunch more chapters, and every single other word he says from this point onward is going to be to correct the Corinthians about how they're doing things wrongly. They're doing the right things. They're moving in power. But do I, can I boil it down to the lesson that he's taught and been teaching me and I think us? Do you know the right God? The Corinthians get into a place to where they start moving in the power of God in a way that's bringing glory to themselves. And God shuts that down because it makes it about them and so on, and it perverts it and corrupts it, and they're actually using the gifts in a way that is chasing people away, not bringing them to him and not healing them. But what ends up happening is what God did, if you remember, we started out talking about how to move in power, but I, I suppose it wasn't even like what, three or four months when we got into Luke that all of a sudden the Lord started to take it all the way down to another foundational thing. And what God has been doing with us now for three years of the three and a half years, he's been teaching us who he is. I'm telling you, we've had sermons from me and from other people in this congregation that have taught me the nature of God, and I thought I knew him. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a passionate pursuer of who God is, not things. God, I learned that pretty quickly. I, I moved in signs and wonders, and I did all that, and I learned that that wasn't, that, 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 that has the appearance of God and a feeling of God, but it's not God, not really. And he taught me it needs to be about who I am. Everything that you do needs to be consistent with who I am. That's how the Holy Spirit flows most naturally. That's how you're the most natural conduit. That's one of the things when you really know who God is, you don't have to be afraid of anything because you're a conduit of him and you know who he is. But the bottom line is, is God has been teaching us. I, I just have to say, these last three years, 
have been the best three years of my learning in God, other than, like I say, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that, I, I don't know how I could rank one of those above another. What I've learned about the nature and the heart of God, the kind of love that He has for us, the, the surpassing love, grace, not about works, not about things just his love for us and that everything is flowing out of this love that is so much larger than what I have the capacity because I keep putting restrictions on it and putting conditions on it and he comes along with grace and unconditional love and he sets me free from so much I mean just it's just been a remarkable time and I want us to go back to Jesus saying this it's about I only do what I see the Father doing. I only hear what I see the Father saying. What's the key variable in there? Who's the Father? Who is He? Who is He? Right? Jesus tells them, look, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Now watch what He does. We're on point number three right now. Who's God? And point number two is moving in it and learning who He was through how He moves and what He does. Now watch what follows this. Watch this. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and He in me? Because Philip has said, well, show us the Father. He said, don't you know? <laughs> it's me. It's, don't you see? Look, the words that I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does His work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me. And if you can't handle that, then at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. If you're going to be stuck on number two, be stuck on number two. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same verse I've done. Here it is. And even greater works, because I'm going to be the Father. You can ask anything in my name. Right there. What does that mean? What kind of God is he showing himself to be? You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. When you move, when you step up, it brings glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. But this is, like I say, we want to be on point number three. Anyone who has seen Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And what does that mean for us? We're to be conformed to his image. So people should be able to see us and see the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. You've watched me. You know what the Father's heart is. This is what he's doing with us. The things that we should be doing in power ought not to be because we're doing something in power. They ought to be because God's heart is overflowing in rivers of living water to touch and to make a difference in somebody's life. And we are just simply flowing with him in that. According to his heart as well, right? I don't know how you do that. I think you have to step out in power. I think you have to do all this kind of stuff. I don't know how you come to know the real heart of God without a devotional. I'm sorry, I talk about it so much, I'm embarrassed how much I talk about it. But can I just say something? I think that you can be really, really, really close to God in all the things that you're doing and still have a very corrupted understanding of God because you don't have the downtime, the meditative time, the heart of God time that's just about you and God. Those two things have to be linked. 
I just don't think you can actually know the Lord if you don't take a devotional. I just don't believe you can. Now, I, that may be really offensive to somebody because they've tried and it doesn't work or whatever. Can I tell you something? We're helping people do three folds here in just a moment. If you have trouble doing your devotional, that's what I live for. Would you please contact me? I don't know what we're gonna do, but in the Lord, we're gonna figure out something. Because I want you to find that intimate place of relationship with him. Because that's what everything else comes out of. Right? And so I end with this. God is asking, do you really know who I am? Do we really know who he is? Let me change that one. Do you really know I am? This is that personal name of God, Moses. He's being told to go do something. And he says, who should I say sent me? Who are you? And he, his answer is, I am, meaning what? I was all the way back. I will be all the way forward. And I am right now in the middle of absolutely everything. As deeply and intimately as you could ever imagine. Tell him, I'm the actual God. I'm the God that is. I am. When I do that, that gets me in the game. That makes me want to swing the bat and learn what he's teaching me. And it makes me want to be in my devotionals to learn. And it makes me want to do this. And it makes me want to understand more nearly how to be an emptied vessel that the Holy Spirit can fill and move through me. See how it all works together? The Holy Spirit, the ones that does it, you need to be a vessel that is stepping up evermore into what it is. And the bottom line is, it needs to be about him. It needs to be the express manifestation of not just God, but his heart. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you right now as a congregation, coming to the end of these things that you taught the disciples. There's more to come, but, but we're getting right at the very end here, and you're teaching us how and who and what and why. And we are sitting right now, right here, saying, wow. You have done a nice overview. You've flown at 20, 30,000 square feet, um, feet high to show us, to let us see these things. Now, God, put them into our feet and put them into our hands that we might become your hands and feet, that we might become ones that, like you, do what we see you doing and only what we see you doing that we might say what you hear us saying and only what we hear you saying teach us to be those vessels those conduits like Jesus like Paul like the disciples I want this we want this if you want this take those cups that are in front of you We take this bottom cup in which is the life that we have lived going after self, not entering into the game, not getting in, getting it, stepping up to the plate, taking the swings, not practicing, all the things that we've done to break our lives. So we put our finger in there, we say we've broken our lives. Love that sound. I love that sound because it's in contrast or it's in it's in relationship to the cross where Jesus healed us. Utterly, body, soul, and spirit healed us 
made us one with God again. And so in Jesus' name, with the most thankfulness we could ever imagine, we thank you, God, for healing us. And take this cup together saying that. And now in Jesus' spectacular name, there is a life that every person can enter into right now. If you do not know him, oh, what a glorious time right now to say yes to him. I'm telling you, it'll change your life in ways that are so magnificent and incredible. You just, you just can't even believe what's there. And yet when you get there, you'll start to believe it and enter into it, and it'll be the most dynamic, wonderful, incredible thing you've ever experienced. So right now, receive the life that he has for you, the new life. And all of us who have known him for a long time know that every single aspect of that life that he has is ready for you right now. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup and we say, dear Jesus, glorious Jesus, bring us into your life. Take together. Amen. So be it. That's what amen means. So be it. So be it. Ushers, thank you.